Some of you know Ava just finished her first year of somewhat organized sports. She played soccer, and it was a, a lot of fun to get to go to the practices and get to go to the games and, and just to watch how each kid improved from game to game. With our team, I would say that our biggest improvement from the first of the year to the end of the year was that as the season went on, the kids began to see the importance of playing different positions on the field. I'll give you an example. In the first few games, you had, for the most part, every player on the field wanting to assume the exact same role. You had each kid wanting to play the same position. Now, you did have some space cadets who were picking flowers and playing in the dirt, but the ones who were in the game were after the ball. Nine times out of ten on the field, you just had a big mass of four-year-olds moving wherever the ball went. And because that was the case, guess what was left unmanned and unprotected for most, if not all, the game? The goal, that's right. That's pretty important, right? We had one of our kids who discovered that if, you could, that if he could kick it hard enough and long enough and straight enough and get it through that mass of kids, he could score from a ways out. And he did. I, I believe he scored five or six goals from midfield, which, which was amazing, right? There was no defense. There was no defense. Our kids also got scored on, though, as well. Because if a ball got kicked beyond that mass of kids and the player on the opposing team was fast enough and the more aggressive player and got to the ball first, he would have an open shot on our goal. And after we got scored on several times in a row for a few games in a row, our coaches were finally able to convince some of our more competitive kids to stay back and play goalie. They learned that though they all wanted to have the same role of taking the ball down the field to score, they learned that the role of staying back and guarding the goal was also an essential responsibility on the field and a key part of winning the game. They learned that roles, though different, are all important. And as many of you know already, Differing roles are not just important in sports, are they? But in every aspect of life. Knowing and understanding and fulfilling your role is important in school. It's important in work. It's important in the church. And most importantly, it's important in the home. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to begin in verse 2 and go through verse 16 this morning. And this passage, along with others like it in the New Testament, have stirred up as much controversy as any in the Bible. The distinctions between men and women, clearly stated in the Scriptures, have come under attack in our world today. For example along with speaking out against certain abuses against women in society. Many have argued that the church 
and some of the teachings in Scripture have also contributed to these abuses against and to the discrimination of women. Many have used this passage that we are going to look at this morning along with others like it, and they, they, have, they have argued that this has contributed to these abuses. Many have taken this passage and, and they have used it to paint Paul as a male chauvinist and to label the Christian faith and the teachings in Scripture as misogynistic. And this is nothing new. Do you know that? In Greek and Roman societies in the first century, women were treated terribly. They were viewed as inferior, and they were greatly abused. They were thought of as slaves, as less than human. And as a result, there were several movements in the first century geared toward the liberation of women. And apparently in Corinth, there was a movement taking place just like this that was gaining ground. But like in the 20th century, though there were some good things that came out of that, there were some abuses that resulted from this movement as well. There were certain women in Corinth and in other Greek cultures who were leaving their husbands and refusing to have children or they were even refusing to raise the children they already had. And they were tearing off their veils, which was just a, a sign in that day of submission and commitment to their spouse. And they were also shaving their heads. Sounds like my kind of woman. They were shaving their heads in protest to show that there are no distinctions at all between men and women. And this protest made against society would eventually be directed toward the church. You see the similarities between us and Corinth in the first century? I mean, it is crazy to, to see all the different ways that our societies mirror one another. Many believe then, like they do today, that the traditions in the church and some of the teachings in the scriptures made about women were degrading and did nothing but encourage further abuse and discrimination. Listen, I want you to hear me closely when I say this. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Though I agree with some of the rights that, that women have fought for over the years, I believe that the assaults made against the Christian faith then as well as today are misdirected and they're unjustified. doesn't take much digging to see that women play a vital role in Christ's church and in God's redemption story. We learn of the importance of women early on in the scriptures. For example, though she played a key role in man's initial rebellion, Eve plays a vital role in God's story. She is the mother of all living. And we're told in Genesis 3.15 that through her comes Christ. You also have big names like Ruth, the great grandmother of King David, also in the line of Christ. And what about Esther? who used her influence given to her by God to speak up for God's people so that they could be spared from annihilation. I mean, that's just to name a few, right? Not to mention the wives of the patriarchs, 
Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and remember Deborah who was a key figure in the book of Judges and remember Rahab who played a key part in Israel's entrance into the promised land. And women also played a key role in the New Testament. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene, who was with Christ and followed him throughout his earthly ministry and was there at his crucifixion and became one of the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Women also played a key role in the early church. An early convert was Mary, the mother of John Mark, who gave her house as a meeting place for the Christians in Jerusalem. There was Lydia, another lady. She lived in Philippi, who also opened up her home in the same way. In Romans 16, we learn of other women who were actively involved in ministry. Paul writes about Phoebe and says of her that she is a servant of the church and a patron or a servant of Paul himself and others. We learn about Priscilla, the godly wife of Aquila, whom Paul referred to as a fellow worker in Christ Jesus. And notice, by the way, that many of these women are mentioned by who? Paul. Isn't that interesting? Paul himself makes mention of these women in the scriptures. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven seven 7 that we'll look at today, the woman is man's glory. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is equality among men and women. That is from the mouth of Paul himself. Sure doesn't sound like a male chauvinist to me. And the scriptures sound anything but misogynistic. Here's the truth of the matter. Truth is, Christianity has done more and has said more to, to affirm the equality of women spiritually and personally and in ability than any other system of belief. Scripture is clear that men and women are equal in person. They are equal in terms of their essence, in terms of their personality, in terms of their thinking. It's simply their responsibilities, their roles that are different. Heard it said in this way before. Men and women are equal in person, but different in responsibility. That's right. Scripture is clear that there are two major roles, two major responsibilities between men and women that distinguish the two. One is the role or position of authority given to the man, and the other is the position of submission given to the woman. Some will hear that and say, okay, see, I told you. I told you that Christianity teaches that men are better than women, that the two are not equal. Listen, I want you to get this, okay? When we talk about authority and submission, that has nothing to do with equality and inequality. It doesn't. And you know this to be true, right? How many of you have a boss? Raise your hand if you have a boss in here. Yeah. Does that boss have authority over you? Yeah, but does that boss in any way have more worth or value than you do as a person? No. Parents, you have authority over your kids? Some of you are like, not really. But you should. But let me ask you this. Just because you have authority over them, is your life 
any more precious to God than theirs? No, of course not. The difference between you and them is the roles that each of you has. And the same is true for men and women, for husbands and wives. Scripture clearly teaches that we, men and women, are equal in person. It is important for us to know that and affirm that. But Scripture is also clear that there is a difference in responsibility, a difference in authority. And it is important for us to know and to affirm that as well. Paul says in a very unpopular passage, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, is very unpopular from the world's point of view. He says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, Paul is speaking specifically here of when a church gathers together, all right? He says that a woman is not to exercise authority in the church, nor is she to preach or to teach over men. Paul is making the point that it's the man's role to exercise authority in this way, and it is the woman's role to take on a submissive position. And some will hear that and say, yeah, Graham, but that's just cultural. You heard that before? Yeah, it's just a cultural thing. Paul is talking about a specific time and a specific culture. Really, well, listen to what he says in the very next verse. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Is that a cultural statement? No. Paul leaves his culture and goes back to the very beginning. Paul's making the point that God made Adam first and then he made Eve to be a helper for Adam. That's the way it's always been. He doesn't say men and women have different roles because of culture. He says men and women have different roles because of creation. It's the way God set it up. It's the way he intended it to be from the very beginning. In our text for this morning, Paul is going to discuss the importance of men and women embracing these distinct roles. And before we get into it, there's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind, all right? First, remember, I'm just the mailman, all right? You know, I love reminding you of that. But I am. I don't write the messages. I just deliver the mail. For the most part, I preach what is next in the text. That's what we've been doing throughout 1 Corinthians. And this message is what's next in the text. This is the message that God has for us today. Second, I want you to hear Paul out, all right? Don't cut out or tune me out before I'm finished. But seek to understand the point he's trying to make, and more importantly, the point that God is trying to make through Paul, because I truly believe that if you stay with me this morning, you will learn something on this particular issue that you did not know before you came in today, okay? So, so promise me you'll stick with me, all right? All right, let's get into it. 1 Corinthians 11. First, Paul says this. Embrace your different roles because they are universal. Look at verse 2. Paul says... Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. Let's stop there for a minute. First notice how Paul begins this passage. He begins with a word of praise toward the Christians at Corinth. 
This pattern is typical for Paul in his letters to the churches. Though he addresses some negatives, he never fails to address the positives as well. So before getting into this next section in 1 Corinthians, which deals with the distinct roles between men and women, before addressing more things the Corinthians need to work on, Paul praises them for the fact that they are seeking counsel from him. And he praises them for the fact that they are taking his words to heart and that they are applying his teachings. And this is a good lesson for us today, isn't it, church? Some things we don't need to learn from the Corinthians, but we can learn some things from them here, right? Though this church here, Fellowship, is a great church, I believe it, with all my heart, we need to realize we're not yet there where we need to be spiritually. Therefore, we, we need to constantly be in, inquiring about things we need to work on individually and corporately as a church, and we need to be open to correction when the Spirit of God reveals it to us, and we need to be willing to think about and to do things differently when we see it in the Word of God, don't we? And the Corinthians did that. Paul praises them for it. Well, after this brief word of praise, Paul begins this new section addressing questions the Corinthian congregation had when it came to different roles in the church. Look at what he says in verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. As we have explained already, there was a women's lib movement that was taking place in Corinth in the first century and after a push for reform in this society many began to criticize the Corinthian believers and the church for holding to and teaching that there is a distinction of roles between men and women and they were being criticized for affirming that the role of the man is to exercise authority and that the role of a woman is to be under authority and submissive and many as they do today felt that by embracing this distinction one was basically singling women out and saying they were inferior to men and the church was being influenced by this worldly view as well understanding this context is important because it makes what paul says in verse 3 so significant again he says to the christians at corinth the head of man is christ the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Paul is making the point here that the role of authority and submission are evident at all levels of relationships. That's what he's saying. He's making the point that the entire universe is pervaded by this concept. He says, not only does authority and submission distinguish the husband from the wife, but it also distinguishes the man from Christ and Christ from God the Father. To understand our roles better as husbands and wives, let's look for a moment specifically at the relationship between the Father and the Son. Let me ask you this. Is Christ inferior to the Father? No. They're equally God. Jesus even said that during his earthly ministry. He said, I and the Father are what? One. I and the Father are one. Yet he willingly submitted to his Father's will and he was delighted in doing so. He was under the authority of the Father. Ladies, 
since you have been called to be like Christ, what should this tell you as you read this when it comes to submission? That you should be willing to submit to your husbands and delight in doing so in the same way Christ submitted to the Father and delighted in doing so. So hopefully you're beginning to see already. If you deny these distinctions, you don't have a biblical leg to stand on because these distinctions are affirmed in the Word of God. They are, they are universal. The entire universe is pervaded by this concept. The same way the Father exercised authority over the Son and the Son submitted to the Father, in the same way Christ exercises His authority over men and men are to submit to Christ in the same way the husband should lovingly exercise authority over his wife and a wife should submit to her husband. Let's be honest, it doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? Clearly shown in the Word of God. No, we could stop right there and could call it a day. Paul gives us several more reasons why we are to embrace these differences as men and women. He says we are also to, number two, embrace our different roles to avoid worldliness. Embrace your different roles to avoid worldliness. Look at verses 4 through 6. Paul says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. All right. <laughs> All right. Did you get that? Some of you probably did, and you thought to yourself, great, you know? Graham's already told me that I'm to be a more submissive wife. Now he's going to tell me that I need to wear a head covering and grow my hair out. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to take it that far, okay? Though there have been some who have. There have been some who have taken these teachings in this passage to be universal. But I want to share with you why I don't think it should be applied in this way. In Corinth, wearing veils was a woman thing, all right? That was, that was true to their culture, and men wore nothing on their heads. That was a distinguishing mark of the men and women in Corinth. Women wore veils, men did not. In Jewish and Roman culture, it was the opposite. It was the men who covered their heads. Which is why Paul never tells the Jews or the Roman men to take off their head coverings while they're praying and serving the Lord. This was a cultural thing because Paul only mentions it to the Corinthians. But in Greek culture, specifically in Corinth, the men, they, they wore, I mean, the women, they wore veils and the men did not. And again, this was just a distinguishing mark. And the women, they wore veils to publicly and visibly show their submission and their commitment to their husbands. By wearing a veil, a woman was leaving herself unexposed, which meant that she was unavailable. She was saying by wearing a veil, I am a submissive wife. I am a one-man woman. And 
Men in this culture did not wear veils because that's what the girls wore, all right? So Paul calls for the men and women in verses 4 through 6 to keep these customs so that they can publicly show the watching world that they accept these God-given distinctions between men and women when serving the Lord. Women, if you wore head coverings today, people might not get that message. They might just think it's weird, you know? But that's what it, that's the message they gave in Corinth by wearing head coverings. Everybody knew about those customs. So Paul says, men, as you pray and prophesy, which by the way is just a fancy way of saying, when you talk to God and when you talk to people about God, Paul says, as you minister in this way, as you serve God in this community in Corinth, Serve him in an honorable way by being men of authority, by being men who lovingly exercise that authority. And Paul says, and women, as you talk to God and as you talk to others about God, as you minister to others, do so veil, showing people in your culture that you accept the role that God has given you as a woman, accepting that role. Paul says, Wherever you minister, do so in an honorable way, maintaining the distinct roles that God has given you as men and women. And, and this message was needed because like I said in the introduction, in a while ago, there was a women's lib movement that was gaining ground in Corinth. And as a result of this movement, many of the Corinthian women were throwing away their veils and were abandoning their roles as a submissive and committed wife and a loving and nurturing mother. And many women in Corinth were also shaving their heads to make the statement visibly and publicly that they were the same as the men. And again, church was being influenced by this movement. They were being influenced in this way and they were tempted some of the ladies were tempted as well of throwing their veils away and Paul warns them at the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6 that if they do that they might as well shave their heads as well because to do that is to align with the ungodly protesters which is dishonoring to God and believers we can apply this in our world today can't we at times the unbiblical and ungodly views of our world make their way into the church, don't they? At times, we're tempted to embrace worldly philosophies that do not honor God. We, like the Christians at Corinth, have been influenced by this world to do away with these God-given distinctions between men and women. May it never be. May we take Paul's words to heart here. 1 Corinthians 11, and maintain these distinct roles of authority and submission as we serve our God in his world. Number three, embrace your different roles to be an image bearer of God. Look at verse seven. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Again, what Paul says here goes beyond culture, beyond customs to 
creation. The reason a man is to embrace his distinct role as a man is because he is to be an image bearer of God. When God made man, he made him to rule, to have authority. Look at Genesis 1.26. Here it is up on the screen. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God gave man authority to rule over the earth and made him to exercise authority over the woman as God rules over the man and exercises authority over him. Notice Paul says at the end of verse 7, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So here you have, once again, this, this structure of authority. God created man in his own image. He is over man, and man is to live in submission to God's authority and affirm his authority over his life and over his world. And, and man has authority over the woman. And the woman who comes from the man who is also created in the image of God, is to be an image bearer of God as she submits to man's authority and affirms his authority on the earth. That's how it works. Now, men, before your head gets too big to fit in this building, as you consider the new authority you now have, if you didn't know it already, and how to implement it, before you do, you must first look to God who perfectly demonstrates how to exercise this power. Listen, our God, he rules graciously and lovingly and mercifully and sacrificially and justly. Do you rule in that way? You should. Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9 to further defend this truth by moving once again beyond culture and customs to show that these distinct roles between men and women were initiated by God at creation. He makes that point time and time again here. Look at verse 8 and 9. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Paul reminds us here, once again, man came first. God made man, gave him dominion, and then created woman from the man to be his helper. Now, I know what some of you ladies are thinking now. Yeah, but how does man get here today? Uh-huh. By woman, right? My mom used to remind me of that. She said, I brought you into this world. You know how the rest of that goes, right? Yeah. I was given a reminder of this often. So, so you see, man may have the role of authority but both men and women are needed for society to grow and to thrive. Both men and women are dependent upon one another. And Paul makes this clear as well in verses 11 and 12. Skip down, look at what he says there. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Again, though there is differences in roles, men and women need one another and are equal in terms of their essence and in terms of their worth and in terms of their value in society. Remember in creation, the only time God said it was not good was when? 
When man was alone, then he makes woman from man, and what does God say? It's very good. Not just good, but very good, guys. Paul continues in the following verses to stress the importance of roles, and in verse 10, he encourages us to embrace our different roles because it honors God. Number four, embrace your different roles because it honors God. Look at verse 10. He says, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. In this verse, Paul says once again, it's important for a woman to show publicly and visibly that she embraces the role of submission as she serves the Lord. Paul says, that this is important because of the angels. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it's a few different ideas here, but I agree with many of the commentators who say that Paul is just using the angels here as an example of how to honor God in humble, submissive service. Scripture is clear, with the exception of Satan and his demons, that there is one principle that angels understand completely. One principle that they never have to question. Do you know what that is? Authority and submission. They understand this completely, and they practice it beautifully. They are God's humble, submissive, spiritual worshipers and servants. And it seems as if Paul is encouraging women here to honor God in their service to him by exercising the same type of submissive humility as that of the angels. Lastly, number five, Paul says, embrace your different roles because it is proper. Look at verses 13 through 15. Paul says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. All right. Another fun verse. Another fun passage here. Again, I'm not going to tell you ladies to wear hair, hair head coverings or guys for you who are getting pretty shaggy to cut your hair. I'll let your moms and your wives tell you that. But that's not the main point that Paul is making here. He's simply saying... Whatever way you can show outwardly and visibly in your society that you are a man of authority and a submissive woman, do those things. Now, I know we hear all the time, it doesn't matter what you wear, or what you look like on the outside, but what's, on with, what's within that counts. And there's a lot of truth to that. But let's be honest, sometimes appearances, they say a lot about you. They do. At times, the way you carry yourself, your dress, is an outward reflection of what is an inward reality. So Paul says we need to be mindful of our appearances and make sure that we show publicly and visibly in society that we embrace our different God-given roles as men and women. Paul ends this passage by saying in verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Paul is 
warning those in the church here who are angered by his words. He, he anticipated that. He warns them to tread lightly because they are God's words. And in this verse, he is calling for the church to resist change when it violates Scripture. Church, this is important for us to realize as well, isn't it? There are some within the church who are constantly trying to resist the norm and be now and edgy and be different just for the sake of being different. And they're, they're constantly pushing the church to embrace the common trends of the day. I'm not saying the church should never resist this change, but we must be careful that we do not depart from that which is scriptural. So we allow ourselves to at times be shaped by the culture to reach people for Christ. It is important that everything we do be defined by Scripture. Scripture is clear that men and women have different roles that are to be embraced and maintained. Let me end with this. Like I've said before, it doesn't take very long for us to see that relationships are in shambles in our society and in our world today. And one of the main reasons why I truly believe is because we have rejected the roles that God has given us from the beginning as men and women. The roles we are to take on as, as a man and as a woman and as a husband and as a wife have gotten so out of whack from the way God intended them to be. We have men today who, though they've been called to exercise authority in a loving and God-honoring way, either abuse that authority or refuse it altogether. And we have women today who have either rejected the role of submission, believing it to be archaic, or have even attempted to reverse these roles. And these abuses of these God-given roles in our society have contributed in a negative way to the state of things in our relationships with one another. Well, what's the answer? How do we fix it? Well, if you're a believer, the answer for you is first and foremost, you need to study the Word of God. Put down that secular magazine or book that you purchased that talks about what your role should be as men and women, how to have a good, healthy relationship, and pick up God's Word. Study what His Word has to say on the issue. Study the perfect relationship. Study how God relates to Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, you will see authority and submission in that relationship, the perfect relationship. Read the Genesis account of how God gave us distinct roles as men and women and then pray that God, by His grace, would help you see your relationship from a biblical perspective and ask for His help. Ask Him to help you and redirect you so that He can help you embrace your role, the proper role, the biblical role that He has given you. If you're here and you're a non-believer, you're wondering, how to fix this issue, my answer for you is simple. You need Jesus. You do. For you to repair the broken relationships that you have, you must first have the relationship, your relationship with God repaired and restored. And that's only possible through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. If you're here this morning, and you are not 
trusting in Christ for your salvation, I urge you today 